Hi folks, this is Jack Spierko with another edition of the Survival Podcast. As always, one man's view of the changing world, the changing times, and the things we can all do to live a better life if times get tough or even if they don't. Today is November the 20th, 2019. Uh, this is episode 2551 of the Survival Podcast, and today we have Morgan Rogue of roguepreppingcom talking about prepping with kids. She's got a uh, like a, a four-month-old and a three-year-old, I believe, if I remember right. Uh, this is a fantastic conversation with a young mom who uh, her and her husband got into prepping, uh, you know, when they got together, and, and then they had kids. And then you got to figure out how to make prepping and kids go together. And they've done a good job. They put together a great website. they got a podcast, great social media presence. These are people you're going to want to check out. I'll have Morgan on in a minute. We're going to have a talk about the challenges of surviving with babies and kids and how to teach and communicate with them, how to talk about scary things without making it scary, how to, uh, to lead your kids rather than demand things of your kids, and how to, how to set the, the bar right early so that your job gets easier as they get older instead of harder when it comes to prepping and parenting in general. Great conversation, and we'll have Morgan with us here in just a minute. Before we do, let's go ahead and hear from our two sponsors of the day. Sponsor day number one today is ButcherBox.com. Hey, man, I got my ButcherBox turkey. Did you? That's right. If you're a ButcherBox uh, customer, I think, I'm not sure, I think there's still time to get a turkey from them before Thanksgiving. I'm not sure about that, but... uh I got my turkey from Butcher Box because I didn't raise any turkeys this year. And when I looked at what they had to offer, I figured it was as good as everything else I get from them. Butcher Box is awesome. They send, you know, grass-fed beef, pastured poultry, pastured pork right to your door in a box. That box is well insulated and packed with dry ice. And when you get your food, it is frozen solid. I'll tell you how confident I am in the quality of what they send. So the day before the workshop started, Our deep freezers were stuffed, as you might imagine, planning on feeding, you know, 60 people for four straight days. And I was out of freezer space because we lost a freezer this year. We had a freezer breakdown. And I just had no place where the butcher box showed up. And Michael, our cook, was here and goes, what do I do with it? I said, just stick it in the utility room, leave it closed. And tomorrow when you take everything out to start feeding people, there'll be room and stick everything in there. Then he goes, are you sure? I said, absolutely. Stuff was still frozen the next day. They do a good job, and the quality of the product itself is exceptional. I take payment in meat, guys. Uh, they're the only sponsor I have, right now anyway, that I, I take payment from them in product instead of money. Check them out today at ButcherBox.com. Remember, if you're an MSB member, you can get $10 off every single box. Or you just going to add that to your box and get free bacon for life. And uh, that's $120 a year if you're a monthly customer of ButcherBox, which is more than double the cost of MSB, which is on sale right now. We'll save that for a wrap-up today, but that's a hell of a deal, guys. Uh, Backwoods Home Magazine is our other sponsor of the day. This was the easiest sponsor I've ever taken on for anything ever in my life, not just DSP. Why? Because when you are a customer of somebody for about two decades, and then they say, will you, will you take us on as a sponsor? It's easy to say yes. I first found them in 1993. 1993. Just got out of the Army. Moved to the big city, and I was missing small town, rural community life. And I found Backwoods Home, and it was like traveling back in time to my teens and realizing I wasn't the only one that thought that way. Started reading them, became a, a, a paying subscriber in 94. And in 2008, when, or 2010, when they asked to become a sponsor, 
I was still a paying subscriber, so of course I said, yes, you should check them out. They are the journal of self-sufficiency, self-reliance, independence, and liberty. Find it all at backwoodshome.com. With that, let's go ahead and get straight on into this and introduce our special guest. Morgan Rogue is a wife and mom of two daughters, a three-year-old and a four-month-old. She lives in Texas. She's been prepping for the past ten years. She's on a mission to encourage ordinary people to prep as well as continue to gain knowledge from the prepping community. Today, Morgan and I are going to get together and talk about how to survive anything when kids are along for the ride. According to Morgan, kids are tough, especially younger kids who might not have a total grasp of what's going on. And when they can get scared easily still, though, we're going to talk about all of that and more. With that, hey, Morgan, welcome to the Survival Podcast. Hey, how's it going? Thanks for having me. I'm glad to have you on. We're going to be talking about kids and prepping today. Uh, you're a wife and mom of two daughters, a three-year-old and a four-month-old. As a, a grandfather with an eight-year-old and three-year-old in my home every day, I can empathize with some of the challenges there. And when I, when I got this, I thought this would be a great topic. It's something we've talked about in the past, but haven't really dug into for a while. And uh, those of us that get older and have grown kids, we kind of forget the challenges. So I think this will be a good subject. Before we dig into that, though, who the heck is Morgan? Uh, tell us a little bit about your background. Take us back to like spacing out in high school or something like that and uh, you know, trying to figure out what to do with your life and, and, and what you do professionally and you know, maybe just a little couple seconds on how that led you to preparedness. Yeah, so it's funny. You talk about high school and stuff. If you had told me in high school, oh, you're going to be really into preparedness and the outdoors and all this, I would have been like, yeah, right. I mean, well, I was really into the outdoors and stuff, but nothing having to do with like survival and preparedness. Like, I, you know, I would go camping with my dad every summer and we had like a forest in our backyard and we were always, you know, kicked outside, go do whatever. Um, but, uh, yeah, and then so life went on, and I, for a long time in my 20s, I didn't know what the heck I wanted to do. I was tried to go, I tried to change my major in college like a million times, and just nothing was really sticking with me. And um, but so a couple things that always did stick with me was writing, and um, once social media kind of popped up, creating websites, things like that, and I really kind of became that kind of techie person, and so that really stuck with me. And then. Um, so the whole techie thing led to uh, my husband, now husband, um, where I met him online and um, we got really into hunting and camping and it was just kind of relived, you know, kind of rejuvenated my love for all the outdoors, which I had as a kid, but totally lost when I was in my early mid 20s. And so got into prepping because of zombies, <laughs> uh, the walking dead, <laughs> that's going to be probably a big one. But even before that, I was doing a lot of prepping as well. Uh, but kind of, you know, kind of really buckled down and, uh, got more into the community and stuff like that. Kind of with that, with my husband and, and got into all that. But that was, I really started, you know, about 10 years ago or so. And then, um, the walking dead came along and really kind of push us more into it so yeah that's basically it <laughs> so you know as you as you go on this walk with preparedness uh, a lot of people do get involved in it as young couples when they when you do have both sides of the equation involved and then these little these little critters come along called children and that uh <laughs> that starts to change some things up so when do you think kids should start learn to learning to prep uh, about survival, about guns, et cetera, knife skills, stuff like that? Like, how do you 
How do you figure out as a parent what is age appropriate for your kids? It's it's really, you know what? It's not as cut and dry as people think it is. Like, oh, at age seven, they're going to be ready for this. And the, it's really dependent on the child and, and on your lifestyle as well. You know, are you going to the range a lot? Are you, you know, uh, shooting your bow a lot? Are you making fires a lot? Like, we took... Um, my my oldest daughter, we took her on her first camping trip when she was two months old. And everybody told us, no, she's too young. She's too young. Don't do it. I'm like, yeah, but we love camping and we're just going to do it and see how it goes. Right. And we had no idea what to expect, but it went it went fantastic. You know, she's two months old. What does she do? She eats and she sleeps. It's pretty easy. And so um, and then we went hiking with her and basically we just involved her in our lives. We involved her in the making of the fire, you know, and we, even when, you know, she's really young and can't really, you know, you think that they're not really comprehending, but they are. You show them all these things and you explain these things. They are really listening, even if you think they aren't. And, you know, they're messing around. You think they're not listening to me. They are, but, <laughs> um, and, uh, sometimes, most of the time. Um, and so I think it's, it's really important to get them involved with all this stuff as soon as possible. Um, you know, as soon as they're really starting to pay attention in the months, years, you know, I mean, my, I have the, you had said that, uh, my, my four month old, she's now almost eight months old and I'm teaching her, you know, all these little things, showing her fire, showing her all these, you know, how to do this stuff. She's just watching and she's observing, you know, she doesn't really understand fully, but she is. And she's going to put all this stuff together as she continues through her life. And um, so, yeah, like with knife skills, that's a really good one. Um, showing them with like a butter knife. Well, this is how we properly hold a knife. You know, knives are sharp. You know, we got to be careful with knives, et cetera, et cetera. And, you know, we hold, we have knives every single day and she sees us pulling them out and using them and all that. That's important too. Um, just taking them to the range. We took my eldest to the range when she was like four or five months old or something, you know, with the, with the head, with the uh, protect ear protection and everything. And she's just, you know, she's just there. And it's important to just involve them, whether they're actually doing anything or not. It's just important for them to just kind of see what's going on. Well, I agree. And I think when people say, well, they're too young, like, like you, you, you have two things you need to do with things that maybe would be alarming to a kid. First, desensitize and then educate, right? So yep. because, like, if you, if you get a kid out to, to learn about guns and they're afraid of loud noises, then you've got a problem. And I don't really like to do this, but it, it is a good analogy uh, comparing it to like training dogs. So people always <laughs> ask me with my hunting dogs, how come you're, you know, you never had to deal with a gun shy dog? Cause I take pups out and shoot guns around them. Right. right? And so the dog's like, Oh, that's a thing that happens. And then right. you, you start out with something like a 22 and then the dog gets a biscuit in the, then that get, the squirrel runs up a tree and you shoot the squirrel in the tree and let the dog eat the squirrel and guns mean things come down and I get to eat it. And like the dog's like, this is part of life. And it gets me, too, when people say things like, you know, well, they're too young for that or too young for that. So the way we live today in the modern world is is a pretty short period of human history. And for yeah. most, like, like not 100,000 years, 100,000 generations of humans, as far as camping, that was called living, and kids lived there, too. Right. Right? So somehow human children were capable of being involved in all these things that adults are involved in. <laughs> for 300,000 plus years, but today, can't do it. It's dangerous. <laughs> Isn't that funny? <laughs> I, I think that's I, hilarious. 
No, I mean, if like you're at the range and your kid's sitting on a, one of the benches five rows down from you with a gun in its hand in a, in a car seat, okay, you're an idiot. But <laughs> like what you're talking about of exposing them to these things early just accelerates the learning curve as they get older and become more reasonable and rational. And you're, you know, people say, you know what, you, you have guns around your house and all. And yes, and because my grandson, who's eight, has been exposed to guns and how they work and how dangerous they are, I'm less concerned, not more concerned about him finding one of my guns and doing something bad with it. Yeah, exactly. It's all, like you keep saying, it's all about exposure. You know, the more that they're exposed to these things. Like I, um, I put on my firearm every single day. My daughter's seen it since she was a baby. She just, that's it. Oh, I gotta go put on my firearm. Okay. She doesn't care. And, and like we explained to her the, you know, the firearms are not a toy and we have books and all these things to teach them. And it's just the way that life is. That's it. Is it an interesting too when you have somebody, you know, drinking booze with a, with a camel no filter cigarette between their fingers telling you it's irresponsible to expose your children to something like that? <laughs> That's a good point. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, you mentioned a little bit about camping there. What, what about, like, when should you introduce kids to camping and hiking? And maybe, like, I think when you've kind of answered is, like, as soon as you want to. But, like, maybe how you kind of move them up in that. Because, like, a four-month-old is not going to hike. You're going to have to carry <laughs> it, right? Right. Yeah, no, you're right. No, I, I carry my, um, I carry my youngest daughter. Um, she's actually gotten to hiking a little before, um, my eldest, I, I got my eldest into camping, or I'm sorry, hiking when she was around five or six months because I thought I had to put her in a back carrier. I didn't really know about the front carrier. I don't know, whatever. I don't know what my problem was. But anyway, and so now I carry my, my youngest in a front carrier. But I'm slowly transitioning her into a back carrier. And the only reason I'm doing her in a front carrier now is because she's just so little. And so it's kind of, you know, the back the back carriers are pretty big. And so she just kind of swallows her up and she can't really see. She's just like poking her little eyes out of the top. And like, <laughs> so um, anyway, um, yeah, I mean, just getting them out. I, I mean, it's hard to describe. I mean, it's just like I said, it's just part of our life. And so we just strap them in the in the carrier or, you know, if you want to put them in a stroller and go on a walking path, whatever, just get out there and, and do what you're what you're doing already. But with your children and it might be a little more difficult. Sure. They're going to be a little fussy. Do you have to maybe stop and feed them? Maybe, you know, your hike is going to be cut short a little bit because you got to go back and, you know, you got to go put them to nap, though. Both of my kids napped in the carriers. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, sure, you may have to adjust a little bit. Maybe you're not going to get that seven-mile hike today. Maybe it's just going to be a mile. Okay, well, that's fine. So. Yeah, you know, we have a place we hike. It's only a few miles from the house. It's a nature center, a pretty cool place. And my wife decided during the week when both of the kids were off, she was going to take them down there to, to go hiking. And our youngest grandchild is three. So mm -hmm. you always wonder, like, how far are those little legs going to go? And three is yeah. actually, three's in some ways harder than four <sighs> months. Four months is lightweight on a backpack and a kid or a front pack or whatever, and the kid's being carried. Yeah. Three is when they're heavy enough that, like, when they don't want to walk anymore, <laughs> it sucks to carry them. So, like, they have this kind of, like, interpretive trail and all up by, like, the visitor center. So she just took them there and kind of, like, made laps to figure out, like, okay, what's the distance limitation of this kid? <laughs> and now she knows, like, when they go elsewhere, like, 
well, this is the point to turn around or you know, take this loop trail or whatever, and this is kind of the, uh, the capacity. And I think you kind of adapt and learn that or else you end up lugging a 40-pound kid around. And that's a little harder than lugging, like, you know, a 12-pound kid. Around. Yeah. Oh, 100%. We're going through that right now with my three-year-old because she wants to be in the carrier and she wants mm. to walk. And it's like, you are too, you're getting, like, way too big and heavy for that back carrier. And, like, you know, I don't want to carry you. So, yeah, I think her threshold right now is, like, a mile, mile and a half. But, hey, that's pretty good. I think. That's great. That's great. And, I mean, if you're going to go further than that, it's like you need, like, the all-terrain stroller. Yeah, I'm not backpacking yeah. a kid when the kid's three. When his legs work, you're, you're walking, kid. And I think that's good, too, because you challenge them. Exactly. Right? And, you know, like, what I've seen with kids, at three, you're still not quite there. You bike four, though. What works really good is, I bet you can't go further than we did last time. Yeah, <laughs> there's no way you're going to be able to do that. That's never going to happen. Nice. You know, and then they push themselves, you know, it's, I think it's like, I think we've got to a point where like we shelter kids to the point where they don't push themselves because we don't let them. Cause like you give them this, you can't see my fingers, but I'm very, like almost touched <laughs> this much encouragement towards, <laughs> towards, towards pushing themselves and you end up having to pull them back. But you yeah, know, we just want to quash that. It just seems like it's kind of a mistake. No, for sure. Uh, just like what you're saying with challenging them, we do that with her, too. She wants to go in the carrier. No, I think you can go a little bit longer. We're almost there. You know, there's just those little bit of pushes. And then sometimes, you know, we'll play a little game. Oh, like you were saying with the, oh, I bet you can't do this. You know, oh, I bet you can't beat me to there or, you know, whatever. Um, you know, or if, if, if you have to bribe them into reward, <laughs> you know, I mean, anything to kind of challenge them. And, you know, if it, if a reward is going to focus them to challenge themselves better i think that's okay too you know so so one of the things we do in the prep world is we put together bug out bags and i've seen that as kind of a thing like little kids love to put crap in bags man it's like <laughs> it's not hard to get them on board with it um how would you put together though a kid's bug out bag because as great as it is to get them enthusiastic i've seen a lot of kids on facebook and whatever and they make their bug out bag and you're like Yeah, you're gonna need some other stuff there. So parents kind of have to, uh, to to provide a little guidance with that. But we do need to think about it because if we bug out, we got to take care of ourselves and them. Right. Um, so I do carry still a significant amount of stuff for both my children. Of course, my infant she doesn't carry anything, right? Um, and so I'm still I am still um, well. So my um, toddler, she has a separate camel back and then her backpack. So if she ever has to bug out with her backpack, I have to provide the water because obviously she's not going to have the camel back as well as the backpack and she doesn't have the combo anyway. The point is, um, she loves to put together a backpack because her bug out bag because I've been doing it with her since she was a baby. I've literally just been doing it with her. This is our bag. This is what we do. And I explain it to her. And she didn't really care about putting anything in it until about six months ago when she finally, I brought the bug out bag out and she was like so excited to put some stuff in it. And she knew exactly what it was because I've been doing it with her her whole life. And so um, getting them involved, even, even in the times when they're not technically, you know, quote unquote involved is really important. And so because they out now they know what this bag is for. They know when to use this bag, etc. And they see your bag as well. I also take out my bag at the exact same time to do the inventory and everything. And she helps me with that. Oh, you know, she, of course, 
with my bag, she just kind of throws everything out. Um, she kind of does the same thing with her bag, actually. <laughs> she throws everything out and she gets all excited seeing all this <laughs> stuff. She's like, oh, look at this dinosaur. Look at this. I'm like, oh, my God, no. <laughs> but uh, then so she takes it all out and I kind of inventory and then I'm like, go away. I have to put it all back. <laughs> Otherwise, you're going to destroy the whole bag anyway. But uh, she does. She is actually helpful. But as far as food and water, majorly, I do still carry most of that. And then she'll carry her clothes, um, her, uh, like, entertainment, basically. She carries a flashlight and, like, a glow stick and some medications. She does carry some of her own medications. Um, you know, not She doesn't take any specific, but, you know, like, Tylenol, basic Benadryl, stuff like that, that are specific to kids. Um, but then otherwise, yeah, I carry basically everything else for her. So, cool. um, yeah. And as they get older, I mean, we can transition that more and more to them being responsible for themselves. Because I think that, like, we use the word self-sufficiency a lot in the prepping world. And we mean kind of a, an enhanced level beyond what uh, just being an adult means. Like, actually being self-sufficient. But with kids, they're moving at least toward that, you know, average level of self-sufficiency. Able to, like, well, geez, you know, I want to say this, but... It, Seems like some kids today can't, you know, make make a bowl of soup by the time they're twelve, which is crazy <laughs> to me. But in general, kids do as they mature, uh, take on the ability to do it more and more. So if you start young, even if it's not that useful, over time you can transition them into where they, you know, they can handle more for themselves, and they're they're ready to accept it because they've kind of, you know, been through it, so to say. Yeah, a hundred percent. And her her bag has changed astronomically. And the more that she can carry, the more that I do allow her to carry. And she loves her backpack. She loves to take it hiking, and she just you know, and that's an important part as well. You know, not just packing it, but being a, making sure that they not only like it, but that they can carry it, kind of thing. You know. Um, so yeah, I also let her pick out her own actual backpack. Like you know, we go to the store when she needs a new one. And well, what kind do you want now? Whatever she's into. And then she can get that. You know, like a lot of people in this world, especially when I started to really get into it as a personality and, and kind of be public about what I did and things, would you know start posting pictures of what they do and all. And when I look at what people consider like bug out here, um, it's like tactical to the SWAT team or military <laughs> level. Guy's got 17 Bowie knives hanging off of him and, you know, 47 rounds of or 47 magazines of ammo. And, you know, they look like they're getting ready to do like force and force engagement or whatever. And while I'm a dude and I get into a lot of that stuff because it is, you know, kind of tactical and what have you, I've always advised from a standpoint of you and your gear as far as if you have to bug out because of some sort of situation where there might be a lot of other people, the more of a like gray man you can be, the better. How, how do you think that advice applies to kids? So um, I think it's exactly like what you're saying, you know, the more gray man you can be. And something that is – it's tough with kids because you want them to be gray man, but you also want them to be kids. And so um, I have – always been of the mindset that a kid needs to look like a kid if a kid has a tactical backpack that's going to stand out if it's it even if a kid has like i, I don't know I, colors or whatever yeah. but 
you know, like my child has a bright orange backpack and I've got a lot of flack for that, you know, showing her bug out bag to people because they're like, well, I just don't like that bright orange color. You, you can be seen <laughs> from a mile away. I'm like, yeah, but she's a child. Either you're going to see that bright orange backpack on a child and you're going to say, oh, that's a child. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like yeah. it's not it's not really standing out as anything other than the color. And if the color ever seems to be an issue, guess what? I can get a black garbage bag or or her coat or, you know, a sh- uh, gray sh- something and just throw it over the backpack. So it's not so bright. I mean, it's really not that big a deal. Well, and kids like bright backpacks. That's normal yeah. to see a kid like with a Hello Kitty backpack. It's normal, right? That's that's normal. Not normal is some, you know, uh, kitted up thing that a SWAT team member would, would have. Um, right. Also, like what is when you're out with your kids, especially as you, you've got young kids, so you have a little bit more <coughs> control on them as they get a little bit older and they start running and darting, darting, the number one fear you have in a chaotic situation with the kids is losing them. Yeah. Right. They disappear. They wander off 15 feet. You can't see them. Uh, for all I care, their backpack can be glowing and beeping and flashing lights and saying, here I am, here I am. Because <laughs> if I lose my kid, I want to find him. And when I say, hey, I can't find my kid and some guy that doesn't know my kid, what's he look like? He's running around with an orange backpack on. That's pretty right. clear because this idea that we need to hide from everybody is dumb. That's not how society works. Right. And in general, most people are helpful when it's possible to be helpful. So I want my kid to, to glow, if possible, uh, right. in that situation. Because you're talking about a hectic situation where you take your eyes off. Because kids do it, like, in the best situations. Like, you, yeah. where the hell did you go? And then they don't answer you, right? Like, yeah. it's like, yeah, just that, a little bit of, you know, toddler brain damage for a minute and feel like <laughs> answering you because I was busy looking at the cat take a poop or whatever, and you're running around freaking out, you know, where are they? So, yeah, the bright light, whatever. But, again, kids like bright colors. Kids like, I mean, I don't know, by the time I was 10, I probably, you know, if I could have got a hold of one, you know, been going to school with a a freaking army rucksack because that was me. But, in general, most (laughs) kids aren't that way. Right. I mean, if that's cool, that's what your kid wants. That's cool. But, yeah. you know, it's for me, it's whatever is going to make my child feel comfortable. And, you know, like exactly what you're saying, you know, with them getting lost. I mean, my child, my child has only gotten out of my sight once and it scared me. But there were helpful people that guided her back to me. So like you're saying, you know, most people are good. There are definitely going to be bad people as well. But, you know, what are you going to do? Like you have to you have to at some point rely on others to try to help you at some point. <laughs> and by saying, oh, my child has a frozen backpack or whatever, uh, it's going to be better than, oh, my child has a black backpack with brown hair that's that's any child (laughs) yeah 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 absolutely so what kind of mindset do you think you need to handle kids in an emergency or disaster because you know frankly most most adults when if if it's bad enough to be an emergency or a disaster they have their own level of stress they're dealing with and you want to balance kind of the concept of we need to move or we need to go or you need to pay attention with not freaking the kid out, right? Like, Because the last thing you need is a freaked out screaming kid while you're dealing with something. Yeah. 
Yeah, absolutely. And I think that this can be, uh, your mindset can be trained basically every day you have a child, <laughs> uh, because they're going to irritate you and stress you out every single day. And I know mine do. And so every day is a learning opportunity for me, <laughs> um, on how to remain calm and how to basically you have to change your complete mindset from you're not just taking care of yourself anymore. You're taking care of these children and they are your, basically your main priority because you can take care of yourself. Your husband can take care of yourself. You know, your spouse, your, your, maybe your older children, your teenagers, but when you have young children, especially, uh, who aren't listening to you and whatever, you really have to focus up and, and get your mind in a situation where, you can handle the stress, not just that, okay, well, I'm just going to change mindsets here that I have a child. No, that you actually have to physically calm yourself. And it's really hard to describe I, when you're in a stressful situation with your, with your young children, let's say they're really not listening to you, man, they're really irritating you. You just want to, you know, <laughs> do something, but you have to, you have to calm yourself. You have to take a breath. You even have to step away from the situation. Obviously in a really, in emergency or disaster, you're not going to step away from the situation, but you have to uh, take that breath. You have to take a moment for yourself to calm down and remind yourself that this is a child. This is a child that does not know any better. This is a child who you're going to freak out even more because you're emotional. They're going to get emotional. Everything is going to spiral out of control if you don't get your crap together. So that is the training that you have to do every single day that you're with your child so that when you're in an emergency or disaster, you automatically go to that mindset of I got to remain calm for my, not just myself, but for my children so that we can calmly get out of the situation. And also speaking to your children as not adults, but speaking to them pretty straightforward. You know, the more straightforward I'm talking to my child, the better she understands and actually explaining things. Not like, oh my gosh, the world's going to end, you know, not doing that, but just telling them, look, we're in a very, you know, tough situation. If you could be my really big helper right now, that would help us all, you know, here, let's, let's give you a task. Let's, uh, you know, um, can you carry your backpack? Can you count how many red cars you see? You know, give them something to do so that you can better focus as well. It's a whole thing. <laughs> well, you know, we, we, we were taught in the military the four C's, which, which is uh, control creates calm, mm -hmm. right? And yep. command creates control. So, What I mean by that is when you're calm, calm creates calm and, and control creates command. So when you're calm in what you're saying, even if the shit has hit the fan, when you're calm, the people that are listening to you remain calm. Yeah. And by taking control, you end up in command. So what you just described without even knowing that that military leadership, uh, you know, education is the same thing. You're calm, plus you ask for help. That means that you know what to do, therefore you're in command. Because when people are in a panic situation, whether they're kids or grown, grown adults, what they are looking for is someone that knows what to do, if right. they don't. You, you seldom have, like, in any kind of impromptu situation when somebody takes command, heads butt, unless somebody else thinks they know what to do, too. 
and right. they have a, a far different opinion about what to do. When you have a bunch of people that don't know what to do, and one person stands up and is calm and takes control, that person ends up in command. And it, you learn that in the military because you, you, you're taught, like, you might be a corporal, but your sergeant may freak out. Right. And the minute your sergeant is incompetent in his duties, as the next person in command, you step up, you calmly take control, and therefore you, you, you take command. And if, you know, if he gets his crap together, then you'd relinquish it back over. And that's how we have to treat our children. And uh, it's ironic, but NCOs in the military are taught that some levels your privates are your children, right? You have to have that same <laughs> attitude. And it works. And what I found is people think that, like, oh, the military leadership's all screaming and yelling at people. There's a place for that. And there's a place for, you know, you yell at your kid, watch out or something. But right. the primary means of leadership is through calm, assertive control. And it, it's something that it's, it's interesting to hear you articulate it perfectly as though you were teaching, you know, uh, a, a, PL, uh, a primary leadership development course to, to you know, aspiring sergeants. Because that's exactly different words, same message. Yeah, exactly. Yep. <laughs> it's got to remain calm. It's amazing because, um, you know, I've actually done both situations where I've been kind of freaked out, um, you know, with my child and then I've been calm. And it is staggeringly different, not only the results you get, but just uh, how the situation goes down just in general, how better you feel about yourself, how your child is better feeling about yourself in the situation. That calmness, I, I can't tell you. It just, I, I mean, sometimes I always have to remind myself, you know, the calm is going to be better, even though you really want to sc scream or do something else. <laughs> the calm is going to be better. <laughs> well, it also is that in general, if you think clearly, in most situations, there is a clear direction that you should yep. take, right? There is a clear answer. This is what you should do. When you're calm, you can figure out what that is. 100%. So it's not just for you. It's for the people that you are leading, or just for the people you're leading. It's for you as well. Yeah, absolutely. <clears throat> Excuse me. I've got a rough throat this week. Anyway, um, how do we educate kids about emergencies and disasters and generally the real world without freaking them out? Because, you know, I think back to when I was in grade school, you know, hiding under a desk because it was like, how are we going to be safe from nuclear bomb? <laughs> it wasn't really the best thing for us mentally. Right. <laughs> I'm sorry, go ahead. No, yeah. Um, well, it, uh, it's just like, you know, any sort of drill that we have, uh, you know, the fire drills or anything else. You know, we run uh, bug out drills. We have blackout nights. And it's kind of fun. Like, we make it a little fun because we can't freak them out. And we've actually had legit, you know, blackouts and we've actually had to legit leave. There was actually, uh, we're currently living in a, we current, uh, we moved it full time into a, an RV. And so an RV is basically it's on wheels, right? And so we had a tornado warning, um, come light up our phones and we were like, uh Oh, we got to go. And so we just picked up our children. We walked out the door and we walked to the nearest bathrooms. Um, and so, you know, these things, you just, you just do it. I, I don't know. It's really hard to, to describe because 
with all these previous drills and things, you just kind of know what to do. Your kids are expecting. Oh, and when we were hiding in the bathrooms, we were just explaining. So there's there might be um, a little bad weather coming this way. So we're just going to hang out here in the bathroom for a little bit and maybe play some games and whatever. We were listening to our ham radio and we were just... We were just chilling out. We weren't like stressed out um, because we had had drills before because our kids have gone through these kinds of drills before. Well, not not my youngest. Uh, well, she doesn't even if she has, she doesn't care. Um, <clears throat> uh, so, you know, my oldest, you know, she's been through some of this stuff before. So she just kind of she she rolls with it. And um, I think it's just kind of the same as with teaching them anything else you just have to bring them into it you have to teach them and without freaking them out and playful preparedness is going to be the best way to do it because that's how children learn through play so everything that we do like the lights out like you know we kind of make it fun like oh oh lights are gonna go out boom and then they're out and they're like oh no the lights are out time to get our flashlights time to get the candles time to get the board games you know we make it fun and so um and they she just loves it and you know we have a couple times actually had a blackout because of like a thunderstorm or something like that uh you know in texas you breathe and the lights go out um and yeah. so <laughs> Uh, the, you know. <laughs> I do know. <laughs> uh, Tell you what, when you live on a mountain in Arkansas, it's even worse. Oh, my I mean, gosh. I mean, we had a generator there. It's, it was the number one prep we had was our generator. Uh, and I bet you I fired it up at least seven to eight times a year. Wow. I mean, it was just – and we were at the end of the line. So, like, down in town, there would be, like, 20,000 people without power. And up on our mountain, there would be, like, 13 houses. So oh they, they fix your stuff last. Yeah. And you can't be mad. Like, if it was me and I was in charge, like, we could turn up 14,000 customers here, 6,000 customers there, or 13 over here. We'll start with the 14, then do the 6, and then do the 13. <laughs> right? I mean, that just makes sense, right? So, yeah, I know what you mean. Uh, to me, what you're saying, and kind of my philosophy on this, is focus more on the what than the why. Because yeah. we don't really need to, like lather kids up with the fact that, you know, our house could get blown down by a tornado or that, you know, there could be some other sort of bad thing happen. Because then they focus on, oh, no, what if? Because, like, it, it, to, to take it to a totally different analogy, like, there was a guy I knew, and he taught his kid that he had this air freshener, and the kid was afraid of monsters, so the air freshener was monster spray. So he sprayed the monster spray under the bed, <laughs> and the monster wouldn't come. And I'm like, okay, so you just validated his concern that there's a monster under the bed. <laughs> and Oops. wait till you run out of monster spray and there's no monster spray now so like instead of focusing on the the what you focus on the how or sorry instead of the, the why you focus on the how and the what to do so the lights go out this is what we do so when the lights go out it doesn't matter why it just matters right. that it went out because the electricity uh the lightning hit a pole it went out because somebody sneezed in texas it went out <laughs> because some idiot with a backhoe didn't call locates in before he started digging a hole it went out because some guy got drunk and hit a pole really hard you know it, it, it went out because there was an emp that shut down half the grid it went down because there was a terrorist attack it went the lights are out we do yep. it doesn't matter why we do the same thing when the lights go out as we always do and it's amazing how kids get trained to where they actually dig it I remember one time, I think my son was probably about 10. We had gotten in our first real house, you know, with a fireplace and all. And the power goes out. 
So I go to get the blackout kit, and, and it was cold. It was like January. It was like seven degrees. So for Texas, that's like 50 Ooh. below, right? You know. <laughs> and so I go get the blackout kit out to start getting lights on and all. And I look, and he's got a pen light in his teeth. He's got a fire log in the fireplace, flume open, wood logs on top of the fire log, because he knows that'll get the fire going like really quick, and he's lighting the fire. Look at him. Uh, I don't have to do nothing. <laughs> This is great, you know? And it's like they get to where they take charge of a certain piece. And I think that's good for, like, parenting in general. Like, figure out what your kids can do and then turn that crap over to them. Let them be responsible for certain things because then you don't have to do it. Like, you're not there yet. You're training yours well, right? So you'll have five-year-olds that can do what the average 10-year-old can do. By the time right. they're five or six, like, I've got a video of my granddaughter somewhere. She's like two, not even two, and she's feeding the dogs. And yeah. she, we, ha we have this Tupperware thing with wheels on the bottom of it and, you know, one of those lids that locks on. And she goes, rolls it out, scoops two scoops in each dog thing, locks it down and like drives it and like parks it back where it belongs in the pantry. And she, the, the best part is when she locks that lid down. She can't even talk it. She's locking the lid down. And they're like, well, how'd you get her to do that? We showed her how it worked and she wanted to do it. Like kids want to do this stuff. They want to be big. Like, you know, one of the first things toddlers start saying when they start talking is me do, right? Me yep. do, or I yep. do it or something like that. They want to do things. And we as parents and educators just need to encourage it. That's so funny you say the me do. My daughter says that a hundred times a day. <laughs> me do it. Me do it. Yeah. Uh, you know, because like you said, they want to do what you're doing. You're playing on your computer. They want to do that. You're driving. They want to do that. You know, you're doing these things. They want to do whatever you're doing. You're cooking. My daughter wants to do everything that we're doing. And most of the time we're able to placate her a little like my husband was fixing some doors around our uh our old house and she got a screwdriver and pretended to screw in some you know screws and the doors and pretending to you know help him that's fantastic that's great that's instilling a, a want and a drive to want to fix and help and do these things that are very basic you know life skills the cooking and the fixing and the, well, and the you belief know, that when something's wrong there is something i can do about it Yeah. Right. I mean, that's, that's, the, that's the big thing. Like that when something goes wrong, instead of screaming to mom or dad or, you know, as you get older, calling somebody or whatever, like, what can I do to make this thing that's not working work? I'm hungry. How do I solve that without going, mom, I'm hungry? You know, right. I'm thirsty. I can go get my own water. I mean, and, and I've, I know people are like, that's pretty basic. Yeah, but I've seen the extreme in the other direction. And it's, it, it, it and I've seen that extreme. When that kid is then 22 years old and working for a hard ass like me, yeah. it's not pretty. I've had people literally cry over saying, you know, that's, that's really not what I had in mind when I asked you to assemble that data for me. You need to go take another pass at it. Really? And you walk away and you come back and like, you see them like wiping their eyes. And I'm talking like a, a you know, like a 24 year old dude. And you're like, oh. what, what, what? <laughs> you know, then it makes it worse when you're like, what? Then they're like, Oh, they're crushed now. Their soul has been destroyed. <laughs> you did not validate them, you know. And, and worse yet, you didn't tell them what was wrong. You just told them it wasn't right. And they have to figure it out. Oh, my God, now they're soul crushed. And little kids that learn how to feed the dogs when they're two, they don't do that. Yeah. They don't turn 100%. into adults that do that. Um, now, with that, there are people out there that is kind of, to me, it's a disturbing, um, you know, social meme that maybe we shouldn't be bringing kids into this world anymore because, you know, whatever reason. How do you respond to people that think that way? 
I, I had someone ask me that、uh, several months ago for the first time, and I was actually stunned. I didn't know how to respond. I was like, I, 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 I don't know. We want to. Make, procreate, make the world better. I don't know. Like, what do you want me to say? Like, <laughs> I, it's such a weird question. And like, yes, this world is really messed up. And、um, I think as preppers, we do see a different side of this world that other people really don't see. And、um, you know, I've I've lately been getting into kind of dark web stuff, and that's just. Horrific、uh, things to know, and you know the general populace doesn't want to know this stuff, but we have to know this stuff in order to prevent and combat it. And、um, you know, because I know that there's bad things in this world, what now I can't bring a child into it because what? They're not going to be able to handle it. I can't handle teaching them how to navigate this world. What is it about bringing another child into this world that is going to,、uh, besides like I don't know, mass overpopulation or something? Which really off topic, but this is a woman in the UK that's had like twenty five children, like half her life she's been pregnant. Now that's overkill. Okay, stop yeah, having yeah. children. <laughs> <laughs> um, but bringing a couple children into this world, I don't think is really that big of a deal. You know, I just think that it's more of the mindset of knowing that there are bad things, but there's also a lot of good in this world too. That you know, we, we that we need to teach our children both. And I don't think that there's anything wrong inherently with bringing kids into this world. Just be aware. <laughs> See, I look at this as one of those self-correcting issues. So, generally speaking, the people that are telling us that we should not be bringing more children into the world, I look at them and go, "You know what? I think that's a really great idea for you. <laughs>、right. I, I, I think that is a fantastic idea. I think you should. I think you should take your own advice, and you should not bring children up because they're generally the people that are the cause of a lot of these issues." And they're the, generally the people that, if they did have kids, would bring up really, really weak, incapable children. I know that sounds harsh, but when I just think about the people that message comes from, I go, "Yeah, okay, totally." And let all of us that are bringing up self-reliant, independently led kids, we can go procreate and take care of grandkids and nieces and nephews, and that way, when we're old. The next generation won't be incompetent, so、right. I'm I'm totally okay with those people not procreating. But in general, I think it's bad advice. Yeah, I was just so stunned. I don't understand why people are telling them that, telling other people that. I, again, I think, look at the people saying it. Yeah, it's projection. <laughs> it's proje- yeah. yeah. yeah.、Um, how how do you say that we prepare our kids for this unpredictable world? World, you know, like your kids are really young yet, but when you start thinking about finances and self defense. Like that's one era, and then like the other thing, like the kids really need, in my opinion, is a good lesson in manners. Like,、yeah. I mean, so many, so many conflicts would be avoided if people actually just respected each other. So, like, how do you, how do you merge all of that together? It's so funny. You're talking about manners.、Um, we've been teaching please and thank you、uh, since you know way before our, our oldest could talk, and.、Uh, Um, we got a comment about it the other day. Oh my gosh, your child is so well behaved. She says please and thank you. And I was just like, I was so like shocked by it. I'm like, yeah, 
<laughs> like, shouldn't this just be like a thing? Like, you're really like, do you meet a, a children that are not saying please and thank you? And I guess I wasn't like shocked that she was meeting other children and didn't say please and thank you, but that she had to, because it happens so infrequently that she had to say, wow, your child is so well behaved and, you know, whatever. And I'm like, it's shocking that these people aren't teaching these very basic common courtesy things like um, uh, waiting for cars, um, uh, like looking out and waiting for cars. So we stop at crosswalks, right? And um, there was this one time we were coming out of a store. We stopped at a crosswalk and I always tell her, look, we got to look both ways, look out for cars, wait for them to stop, you know? Um, and this guy came flying out behind us and he said, don't worry, they'll stop. And I, 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 yelled, oh. I was like, I was like, nope. And I looked down to my daughter. And I said, they will not stop. You never, ever are under the assumption that somebody else is going to do something. You are doing exactly right, baby girl. You stopped and you watched for cars. And then once we were clear and they let us go or whatever, we went. I couldn't believe that guy. <laughs> He's going to. Well, he still want to see it run over. Yeah. You know, and then, then, then his family will sue. Uh, for, for him, you know, exercising Darwin's law right in front of everybody. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think one of my big sayings with my grandson, and, you know, it's it's coming with my granddaughter, too, because she's getting old enough to get out on her own and stuff. We get in a parking lot or something, head up, eyes out. Right. right? All the time. You drill that into him. And people are like, you know, you sound kind of tough on him. Well, I, you know what's tougher than head up, eyes out? Being hit by a, a multi-thousand-pound vehicle doing, you know, <laughs> even five miles an hour. Right. That right. hurts. Mass times acceleration equals force. Not good. Right? And to me, you're creating that situational awareness in a very real, necessary, at the moment way, but you're developing it for the less needed, but when you need it, you really need it way. And what I mean by that is like, of all the survival needs we have, security is the one that you can most get away with ignoring because most of the time you don't need it. But when you need it and you don't have it for one nanosecond, you can be dead. Exactly. Right? So people walk through their whole life completely clueless to the world, walk out in front of cars, people stop and don't run them over, and they end up old and they die 97 years old of old age in their sleep. Perfect life. And nothing ever goes wrong for them. But every day people somewhere along that journey let their guard down, don't pay attention, go to the wrong place, break the rule, don't go to stupid places with stupid people, you know, and do <laughs> stupid things or whatever, and they end up hurt, injured, dead, etc. Right. Know, like people that avoid that law long enough, you're either going to be called, you know, the, 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 the patient, the dependent, or the departed. And, and right. you really don't want to be any of those three things. So by drilling into their head now, things like watch for cars. And it, to me, it's, it's, it's sad that you and I are sitting here having this discussion because I guarantee you when you were a kid, every kid, like when I was a kid, every kid looked both ways before you cross the street. Now you got grown ass adults going, don't worry, they'll stop. Yeah. Yeah. It, it was honestly super shocking. I almost, I almost see I'm the guy that would be like, why don't you go back and forth like 10 times and see if that theory holds up. <laughs> right. And I pull my phone out. You know, oh like, my gosh. Just keep going back and forth there. Let's see how long this works. I'm curious to see if you're right here. Good yeah. Lord. And, the, and so there's one thing. Okay, one, you're trying to win a Darwin Award. Two, you clearly see a parent teaching a lesson to a child. 
And your action as a grown-ass adult is to attempt to de deconstruct that lesson into oblivion, right? Like, you're like, let me just demonstrate to you why you're wrong in front of your kid. Well, And, hey, I guess that's a good lesson, though. <laughs> yeah, well, if he gets hit, see? That's why mommy <laughs> says to watch for cars. All right. You know, what's he doing? He's, like, crawling around on the ground. What's he doing now? He's learning. <laughs> He's learning the hard way. He didn't have a good mommy, right? You right. Know? So, like, what do you think about things, like, as they get older, like, when you start talking about, like, finances and self-defense? Yeah, you know, I mean, it's going to be really different for every kid, but I think, you know, um, like, right now, we're actually trying to teach our three-year-old finances a little bit. Like, we're trying to teach her that things cost money, because all we hear out of her mouth for a long time is, oh, I want this, I want this, I want this. Great. Well... <laughs> <laughs> if you want this, we're going to have to start earning it and start saving for it because things cost money. And so um, we also are um, letting her pay for little things. Like if she wants a lollipop, okay, well, a lollipop costs money. This is a dollar. So you will take this and you will hand it to this lady because it costs money, right? And so it's these little acts of trying to get them to understand that, you know, things aren't free. And so with our finances and things, it's also, uh, observing how we spend money and how we do things. Um, okay, well, you know, we can't afford this right now. You know, maybe we're going to have to save up for it or, uh, you know, we have to buy food over buying this really expensive toy that you want or something like that. Or, you know, um, maybe instead of this toy, we can go on a camping trip or something like that. You know, it's just a it's giving them different options and different ways to think about money and about how money affects us. Um, debt is also something that they really need to learn Really, I never, ever got a lesson on debt, and I really wish I had as a child, because I got into some really bad debt as a young kid, and um, I'm, I'm at, we're completely out of debt now uh, because we worked really hard to get out of it. But um, you know, I, I really wish I had somebody to teach me about money, and because I didn't, I'm really, really trying to be strict and teach them as early as possible because I didn't have anybody to do that for me, and, I, and she needs to understand that. Debt is the worst thing that can happen to you. Even student loan debt, even student loan debt is going to be crippling. And, um, you know, just learning about finances just as soon as possible. She loves to play with money, with like change and things like that. So I'm always trying to teach her, you know, that, uh, finances that way as well. And, you know, just the whole thing. So, and then self-defense, that's a whole other thing of, you know, when are they going to be ready with that? Um, she is starting to actually be really interested in some types of self-defense, uh, you know, little, like sometimes I'll have her kind of punch my hands and things like that. And, um, you know, I, I'm teaching her kind of street fighting right now because I'm kind of, I'm teaching her, you know, scratch and claw and bite because she's so little, you know, she has no power and she has to kind of have that street fighter, you know, thing going on because Uh, you know, bigger people are stronger than her and she needs to do things that are going to hurt them the most. So, yeah. Yeah. I, I, I think that like self-defense is one of those things that I am a huge fan of by the time they're seven, eight, nine, getting them into some form of uh, a, a proactive martial art. Yeah. Um, you know, karate and all is fine, but if your kid punches some kid in the face, even if they had to come in at school, You've got a lot bigger problem than if they put them in a in a freaking hold. 
So, right. like, you know, jujitsu and stuff like that. And, I mean, the thing about that particular martial art is it's so focused on actual sparring, and kids learn to spar with each other. They learn to close the distance. Like, that, to me, is, like, probably one of the best things you can do. Plus, at the same time, you're giving them a mentor outside of the family, which I think is really important because the prophet hath no honor in his own country. Um, <laughs> additionally, they're learning discipline. They're getting involved with other youth in a common thing. So I think that's yep. a great thing with, with self-defense. On the finances, like, the older they get, the more of the stuff that they get to have beyond, like, three squares a day, yeah. you give them the money to fund it, and when the money is gone, there is no more, right? You right. don't get anywhere. I have a friend, his, his son loves Pop-Tarts. He gets three Pop-Tart drop shipments a year. Right? It's all his Pop Tarts and three drop shipments a year. Here they are, and you don't get any more until like your birthday or whatever. And that's like his, his junk food, and that's his favorite. So he gets a variety of Pop Tarts. Garbage, but the kid likes it, but it teaches him a lesson. He has them in his room stacked up, like in rows and like inventoried. And like, if you get him to give you a Pop Tart, you are lucky that he shared one with you. And he will like open, the, there's two in a thing, he'll open it. He'll pull one out, like break it in half, and give you half of one, and like roll it back up and put it away. And he knows, like, I need to eat that one next because it's going to go stale because it's already opened. And he has like an inventory tracking, and he knows like these have to last until. And the reason kids don't learn about money is because we pay for everything. Right. Let them pay for their stuff. Now, three year, you know, you like I said, my granddaughter's the age of, of, of your oldest, so you're still not quite there. But yeah, my grandson, like, give him an allowance. You give an allowance. Well, I want this. Well, do you have any money? No. Well, get paid next week. Right. Yeah. Yeah. We we were excited for the allowance, but yes, like you said, she was a little bit young. Yeah. But we are. I mean, you know, in interim of that, we are letting her kind of pay for some of her own stuff and that kind of thing. You know. Well, you start uh, physically do it. Like, you yes. know, Give the lady the dollar, and when the dollar is gone, wah wah. Right? Yep. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Um. Yeah. There's. Sorry, there was something I was going to say and I forgot. <laughs> That's all right. It'll come back toward the end here. We're, we're getting there anyway. Uh, let's talk about how you maintain your situational awareness while wrangling kids. Because wrangling kids, like we said earlier, they take off, they run, you know, whatever. I've I've seen, you know, parents that have a kid on a leash and people are like, you know, well, I can't believe they're doing that. Like, it's not my first choice, but if that kid darts, you know, because there are darters, like different kids are different ways. Like, yeah. how do you deal with... I have to pay attention to what's going on, and I also have to make sure my kid, like, doesn't, you know, eat the bumper of a truck. Right. Um, you know, I think it, it really does depend on the kid, like you were saying. You know, if you know that your kid darts, put them on a leash. Put them in the cart. Strap them in the cart. Do whatever you have to, you know. I mean, who cares if they're screaming and crying? You know that it's going to be their safety, right? And they're going to they're going to stop. OK, so like my child does not like being in the cart 100 percent of the time. She does like walking or pushing or something. So sometimes if she doesn't want to be in the cart, like if she's just losing her mind. OK, sometimes she'll just a child will just get over it. OK, they'll be in the car. You can distract them with something else, you know, whatever. But if there is another route, like uh, say, you know, oh, here's a task for you. Can you push the cart? Can you help me find the rice? Can you help me do this or that or the other? Give them a task, that kind of thing, so that you are not spending less time watching them, but that you know that if you tell them to do this certain thing, that 
um, they will be there. So like having them push the cart, that's a dream because you know that they're right there and you can pay a little bit more attention, you know, of your surroundings. Um, I, I would say inside is just as important as outside, but outside is so many more variables because of the vehicles and things like that. And so, um, I always have them positioned very specific ways. Like I had them positioned on the inside instead of the outside of me. Um, I try to hold their hand, but my oldest is very stubborn. She hates holding hands. And so um, sometimes I grab onto her coat. Um, and so at least I have a physical hold on her. And she hates that too, but whatever, I don't care. I'm going to still hold on to her coat. <laughs> um, I have to do something to where I am looking around and I'm not having to also stare at her, you know, so that I don't have to yell at her to jump out, you know, to, cause there's a car coming at her. I'm physically holding on to her and that's not a worry, so much of a worry. So I can pay, actually pay attention to that car zooming towards us and get out of the way. Um, so yeah, situational awareness uh, with kids is very different and it is very difficult, but it all comes with just getting out there and, and, and training yourself and figuring out your kids and figuring out the best methods. So what they don't want you, you know, holding on to their coat. So what they don't want to be in the cart, what's going to be best for them uh, is probably sometimes not going to be what they want. And Okay, they're going to get used to it. They're going to get used to a routine of getting in the car. They're going to get used to a routine of stopping and watching for cars. They're going to get into the routine of, you know, helping when you're at the grocery store. They're going to get into these routines eventually, and it's up to us to um, instill these routines so that we can better pay attention to our surroundings and not so much pay attention to our children. So, Yeah. What about firearm safety? I mean, you've mentioned guns enough to I know you are a firearms family. What are your mm -hmm. thoughts on that? Look, kids do like to play with stuff they shouldn't at times. Yeah, for sure. Um, I I think that there are some really great books out there uh, that can really help children. And uh, I don't I don't we've been reading to our children child since she was you know three months old or whatever. And so I think sh uh, books are really a great way to explain things to children because they're reading it from a third person technically, right? It's not, it's technically you're reading the words, but it's coming from this book. So it's not your words. It's the book's words. So they're paying a little bit more attention to these books and, and things. So like the Eddie Eagle and, and the, um, there's a really good book, um, toys, tools, guns, and rules. Um, and some other really good children's books that talk about gun safety. Um, and also just being around it. Kids, they have to be around the firearm, but you have to teach them. You have to teach them that this is not a toy. This is a firearm. You have to take them to the range. You have to show them, you know, what this is used for. It's like when we show our child what a screw is used for, what a marker is used for, what a knife is used for. It's what are these things used for? Okay. And you're not saying that this, this firearm is going to be used for self-defense purposes, right? You're, you're saying that this firearm is going to be used to shoot at a target. And that's the only thing that it does. Okay. And so, and kids listen, even if you think they're not paying attention, like, I, like I've said, I mean, my child listens. And so, um, we also do have, um, our, some of our fire, we have our firearms locked up, um, and they cannot access them. Um, but 
they're not interested either because they've been around firearms their whole life. They're yeah. just not interested in them. They're not crazy and unique and in, well, you know, and they know if they like, especially as they get old, they know if they want to see them or whatever that they can come to you and you will show them to them that they don't right. have to sneak around you to do it. Like with my son, you know, I got him his first BB gun when he was seven, and then it was kind of like, now you need to earn your way to a .22 and a trip to the rifle range. And right. when we go out with your BB gun, which the worst thing is going to happen is I'm going to get shot in the eye. Please don't do that. I only have one good one as it is. Uh, <laughs> but when I see you treat that gun to where I would feel safe with you next to me, if that was a .30-06, we'll go shoot a .22. Right. Right? I mean, it, it, and people are like, well, you know, does that work? Well, Yes. If Absolutely. they want to do it, and, and then people are like, well, what if they don't want to do it? Then they shouldn't. Like, right. Like, you know, if, if your kids really don't want to do something and it's not something like brush their teeth, then, right. you know, then they don't need to do that thing until they're ready. So then yeah. you won't have an issue with the BB gun because they won't want that either. But I have yet to see a young kid without a BB gun, you know, that didn't get excited about a BB gun. I mean, right. they, made, they made the most famous Christmas movie about it and everything. Right. So, like, for God's sake, yep. it's not 24 hours on Christmas Day every year, right? So, right. like, kids like BB guns. So then we use BB guns. And, like, when I was a kid, like, every kid I knew had a BB gun. Right. You know? And we didn't, like, get in too much trouble with them. I'm not going to say we got in no trouble, but we didn't, <laughs> well, we didn't go out shooting each other in the face or anything, you know? And we had the one-pump rule when we played guns with them. But, you know, um, <laughs> somehow we all survived. Yeah. It's Somehow amazing, we isn't it? all survived. Somehow we all made it through in, in, you know, riding in the back of station wagons and starting fires and, <laughs> and, and you know, playing gun games and, and all that and having knives and stuff. So you guys kind of took this trip, didn't you? You want to tell us a little bit about that here at the end? Uh, that you kind of like went through a lot of this stuff. Yeah, yeah. We went on a 30 day road trip where we camped and uh, we stayed with family. We camped the pretty much the entire time. We boondocked, which was a lot of fun. And that taught us a lot about um, our general mindset with kids. <laughs> and because I guess when we started out on this road, we were on this road trip, we were like, oh, boy, we're going to drive for like seven or eight hours. We're going to get to our destination. We're going to just set up. We're going to sit outside and relax and eat dinner. Oh, man, it's going to be just this amazing road trip this whole time. And it was like uh, 30 minutes into the road trip, and our two-month-old was crying her face off and wanted to stop. And then it was like every about an hour after that, our two-month-old wanted to stop, and we were like, oh, my God. <laughs> we're not going to be able to do anything. And we were like, are we stupid? Like, did we really think we were going to be able to get away with this? Like we're single plan. Like, I mean, <laughs> well, our toddler was good. She was, she was pretty good. She, you know, she can kind of entertain herself with books or whatever. Um, of course we had an infant though, and that really changed everything. You know, we could only drive for a few hours, you know, because we were stopping so much and, um, you know, to feed her and to, uh, change her. And, you know, she did sleep a lot, but, um, she didn't get used to the car seat until almost recently and, um, you know, for long stretches of sleep. And, uh, so yeah, it's, it, it was all a big eye opener to us when it came to, like a like if we ever had to do like a super long kind of bug out thing, you know, that's basically what life was going to be like. It was going to be kind of we had to really take our time. We had to realize our limitations. We had to adjust our expectations and we needed to um, 
expand the time allotted. So if we thought that we were going to get to this one place by five o'clock, we were probably going to get to this place by like eight or nine or later, you know, just because of the amount of stops that we had to do because we have two children that need to get out and they need to stretch their legs and they need to, you know, expend some energy. And so do we, we need to stop too, but, uh, you know, a lot more stops with kids. So yeah, it's just, it was a whole big learning experience. <laughs> so you guys also have a website, right? Where you kind of put a lot of this stuff together. Uh, yeah, we are at uh, roguepreparedness.com and uh, on all the social medias. So, yep. Mm-hmm. So I'll, I'll make sure that we have a link to your website and links to all your social medias because you actually put the link to your social media in the, uh, the guest application form, something I'll advise people to do. Thanks. Uh, and uh, maybe they can connect with you, and I, I think they would uh, be you know, well to do so. Anyway, I, I really appreciate you being with us today. Yes, I had a great conversation. Thank you so much. Really appreciate your time. So that was a great interview um, and brings the female voice to TSP. I get questions sometimes, you know, not the social justice worry or nonsense or whatever, but, you know, like, hey, do you think you could have some more gals on the show? And, and I, I, you know what? I believe there's two genders. I believe that. I'm crazy that way. I believe that's actually how we were made. And I do believe that men and women have a different way of looking at things. And I think that's a good thing. I think it's wired into us for a reason. And I want more female voices heard in the prepping community. And I I have only ever said no to one woman ever who wanted to be on the show. And I actually said yes. And we started doing the interview. I figured out she was a fruit bat. So I I, I canceled that interview. But, I mean, every single gal who's ever asked me on this show has been told yes. And, uh, in fact, there's a whole series that this is, this show is now part of called the Women, Women of, Women of Prepping series. Every episode has tags. And if you look at the bottom of any episode at the survivalpodcast.com, you can see those tags. If you click, you'll see all the episodes tagged the same way. If you'd like to hear more from the feminine perspective on prepping, there's a bunch of stuff there over the years. And if you are a gal, cause I put out a call for guests yesterday, but I'm telling you especially, if you are a gal and you would like to come on this show and share something, we want to hear from you. Just go to the survivalpodcast.com, fill out the guest form. And again, rogue prepping is pretty cool. Morgan's got a podcast, lots of great articles. Uh, I have links to, to Morgan's site, and I have her Instagram, her Twitter, her Facebook, and her YouTube because, like I said, when I put out a call for guests this week, she was smart, and she put all her social media on the form. You should do that, too, if you have those accounts when you come on the air to make sure that people can connect with you. With that, we've wrapped up another episode. Let's talk about a couple ways to support this show. One, you know what to do? Join the member support brigade, and why wouldn't you do it this week? 30 bucks for life. Now, not $30 for a lifetime membership. 30 bucks a year, you lock the rate in for life if you use the turkey sale. Yep, T-U-R-K-E-Y. I finally decided after two days telling you to look it up, tell you how to spell turkey. If you can't spell turkey, I don't know what to say, though. Um, you can get $20 off per year of a membership in the member support brigade. Like I said during the, the sponsor segment today, the discount to butcher box alone is $120 a year on a $30 membership. Even a common core student can do that math. You support the show you love and you listen to on a daily basis and you get your money back and you make a profit. That's win, win, win. So that's why I put that program together that way. Do consider becoming a member this week while it's on sale. I figure I'd do my Thanksgiving sale the week before Thanksgiving, instead of the week of Thanksgiving when you're buying stuff for friends and fighting with family and trying to make turkeys 
and there's 20 million other sales, I figured I'd just go in early. And there you go, the turkey sale, 30 bucks a year. If you want to pay uh, by anything other than cash, you can do it by the mail-in form. Just write it on that. If you want to do cryptocurrency, you can kind of do it on your own. You can just get with me. I'll take almost all cryptocurrencies for this if you get with me independently, if you don't see it on the site. All right. With that, let's... um also reminds you about T-SPAS, T-S-P-A-Z, T-SPAS.com. You go there, it's just a sub-page of the main website. You can see all the reviews I've done um, on Amazon and all the products I recommend because I use them myself, spend my own money on them, etc. Today's one I love. I've been using this product now, I think, since 2015 when I first found it. It's by a brand that you've heard a lot about on this show, E-Tech City. Yeah, they're out of China, but man, these guys are quality and they back stuff. I have never had somebody say I had something come from E-Tech City, there was a problem, and they didn't fix it. Not once. 200,000 plus listeners have been doing T-SPAS for four years now. No one's ever complained about them not fixing a mistake. I've heard from people say, yeah, they did make a mistake, but they also fixed it. For for, for a, a company that communicates in Chinglish, and they do, That's that's a good thing. And they build quality stuff. This is the wireless remote control electrical outlet switch set. This The way this thing works comes with two remotes in case you lose one, because you will. Uh, I lost one a long time ago, so I don't know where it is, but I got one of them still. And it has five, uh, five electrical outlet ends. Each one you plug into an electrical outlet, and then there's numbers on the remote. There's five of them, so you guess it's one, two, three, four, five. And next to each number, there's an on and off switch. If you want to turn number one on, you push on. You want to turn it off, you push off. Installing it, even I can do it. You take an outlet, you plug it in, and then you plug your stuff into the remote switch. That's it. Comes on and off. And I know what you're thinking. Oh, this is another great way to let fat asses sit on their butt and not get up to turn on a light. Now, there's a lot of, lot of utility in this. Number one, I'm bringing it around because it's Christmas time. My wife builds a Christmas forest. Three different sectors of the living room. I think we're up over 30 trees now. Now, they're not all giant Christmas trees. They're all those little different size ones, skinny ones, tall ones, and all stuff like that. A bunch of them have lights. So what I do is I plug one of these outlets into each location, and then I plug a couple power strips into them for her, and then she can go nuts. And when it's time to go to bed, instead of like a light screaming under my, my bedroom door and blinding my eyes, I click, 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 and they all go off. Otherwise, I'd be crawling underneath and behind and knocking tinsel in my hair. It just would be a mess. See how that works? I've got all my fish tanks on timers now. We'll talk about those tomorrow. Um, but there was a time when I only had like one fish tank, and turning the lights on and off was kind of pain in the butt. So I just put a remote on it, and I could sit here and turn it on and off. I've got these two great big lights in my office, huge ones, like massive CFLs, like so big, you're like, really, I can fit this in a regular light socket? The purpose of those is when I shoot behind-the-desk video so you can see me without giant shadows on my face. So then i got to get up from behind the desk, go turn them on, whatever, and wait for them to, to, to fully heat up because they're, comp they're compact fluorescence. Nope, I just hit a button, they come on. And then when I'm ready to start recording, the lights are all nice and warmed up. And when I'm done so they're not overheating my office and drawing electricity on them, push a button, they go off. I bet there's a bunch of things you can think of. And here's one that I've thought of. I bet some of you have parents that are starting to have mobility issues. This is such a simple tool. It's not like some kind of programmed, complicated network device that you could even write on the remote living room, bedroom, whatever, and put all their lights on this, and then with a the remote control, they turn their lights on and off. 
uh, or other things they might want to turn it on and off that they have a hard time getting to. I have a lamp in my living room. One of these is plugged into it because it's like kind of behind the couch in a weird location. And you just have to like contort your body and it's been turned on and off so many times. The little turner switch is a, it's just a bitch to turn. But it's the best place for the lamp. I put it on one of these, push number four, it comes on. Is there anything I don't like about these things? Yeah, there is. It's not a big deal, but yeah, there is. And the issue is they, the, the, the remote, not the remote end, the, the receiving end, the, the plug-in end doesn't have numbers. They all look the same. So you know what I did? I plugged one into a wall, plugged a light into it, hit on, 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 until I figured out which one it was. It was like number four. Took a Sharpie marker, wrote number four on that one, plugged the next one in, click, click, oh, number two, next one, number one, next one, you know, so and so until eh, this last one has to be five. Boom. Now they're all numbered. That, that's the little hack that I mentioned in the write-up. You want to check these things out. Again, they're by eTech City Wireless Remote Control Electrical Outlet Switches. They have endless uses. Um, it can just make your life better. And, you know, think about a shop where maybe the light is way in the back or something like that. Click, it's on, what have you. Uh, lots of things you can do with these. Sectored, you know, zoned lighting in your living room or whatever. I want it all on. I want it half on. I want these lights off. You know, some of you guys are going to wire your places up to smart homes. This is like an intermediate steps, really easy. If you can plug an electrical device in and push a button, you can work it. If you want a timer, I have the best timer on the market. It's mentioned in the PS of this write-up, but I'll bring it to you tomorrow because I know a lot of you guys want timers. I got the easy timer, the one that won't make you smash it with a hammer and throw it out the window for you tomorrow. But you can always find everything I recommend where? tspaz.com. With that, let's go ahead and wrap things up with our song of the day. We're in Music Business Week. These are all songs about the music business itself. Today's song is by one of my all-time favorite bands, Pink Floyd. It's called Have a Cigar. And I bet you've heard this song before. I bet even if you don't think you did, when you start listening to the lyrics and the sound of it, you'll be like, oh, yeah, I've heard that song before. Some of you may not have realized what it was about, because like a lot of Pink Floyd songs, Unless you really, really listen to the lyrics, you just kind of zone out and just enjoy the sound of the damn thing. But this is about how corporations control the music industry and promise artists the world in exchange for signing a contract. And for some it works out, for some it doesn't, but they tell everybody the same thing that, in the words of this song, you'll be riding the gravy train. You won't have to worry about anything anymore. Just sign your life over to us. Now, again, this is Music Business Week, you know, songs that are about the music business by people in the music business. But I think that maybe this points something out. We all tend to get tunnel vision in our own little world. This is the way every big industry is that has to deal with talent. Any place that you'd have something akin to a talent scout or an agent follows the same pattern. Promise you everything, whether it's scouting talent to play football at a college or a pro, whether it's, uh, I had it basically my own individual personalized recruiter when I was in the business industry in sales. I had my own personal headhunter who acted like a business agent for me. And he was good, and he did a valuable service to me, but brother, let me tell you, he promised everything. He's one of the few that I think really delivered. That's why he became kind of my personal guy. But in every walk of life, this is what big business does. 
It promises you everything, but it takes all that it can get. I don't necessarily have a complete problem with that. I think the big problem is that in many places, specifically like the music industry, like athletics, you've got young people who are so uneducated to the world that they're easy to take advantage of. Like I said, my personal headhunter, man, when you got a guy that's like, I know you're making 120 grand now, but I can get you a job making 180 grand if you're ready to move, and then he can do it. You know, I don't care how much money they write the check to him for in return for his doing his job. But I also understood what I was doing and knew what I was getting. And I think what Pink Floyd's really talking about here is how there's so many young artists so hungry, so starving, and the industry is so predatory. And I think it's a lot like real estate agents. How the hell does that work? When times are good, real estate agents will take every listing they can get just so they get credit for the sale. And they'll all talk about how they're going to market your home, and all they're going to do is put a sign in the front yard and put it on the MLS service and hope somebody takes a look at it. When times get tough, you determine whether or not a real estate agent is actually good at finding or selling a home. That's when that's when you find out how good someone is. And when the mu- with the music industry, they're always creating their own booms. And especially, like, see, Pink Floyd came up through the 60s, 70s, 80s period. And during that time, record companies had so much more power than they do today. They just signed everybody. And then if you ever did anything, they owned you. That's what this is all about. And again, that that model exists beyond the music industry. With that, it's been Jack Spirico with another edition of the Survival Podcast. Helping you figure out how to live that better life if times get tough or even if they don't.